Well, today is the uh, time that we do want to make sure that we remember those who have sacrificed so much for our great nation and that we live in and the freedoms that we enjoy. We don't want to forget that as we're having our barbecues and our, our gatherings, which are fine times as well, but uh, not to forget the true reality and, and purpose for this Memorial Day weekend, especially as tomorrow rolls around. We've seen a very nice video about our freedoms and how our country was formed and real short but very cute and very nice, very touching and uh, I like that and we've uh, had the recognition of those who have served and, and that's nice as well and that's nice as well but I don't want us to forget one thing about uh, this country we live in. We live in this country and it's so great not because of who we are but by God's grace. Amen to that? And that's what we got to remember as we celebrate or as we recognize a Memorial Day weekend or the 4th of July or any other day that we set aside, or maybe you just do it daily, you recognize the importance of the country in which we live in and the freedoms in which we enjoy. But all of it is because of God's grace. God has bestowed upon us through His church and this nation, His grace, that we have the freedoms and the, if you want to call it the way of living that we have, it's all because of Him. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. And that is the sufficiency of God's grace. I believe as a church and even as a nation, our view of what God's grace is, is, is starting to wane a little bit. It's starting to get off track, if you will, on how we view God's grace. So if you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I just want you to realize something. You know, you, you know there, there have always been many people, and it's no different today, that there are many people in our nation today who hate Christianity. At least hate Christianity the way the Bible says it is. They don't mind maybe their version of Christianity, but true Christianity, they're not for. They, they want to adorn it with, with worldly ideas and they want to adorn it with, with worldly fads and trendy fashions, right? We don't want to look out of place. We don't want to feel out of place. So we, we change some things. Whatever else they could sell us, we buy. You know, for the most part, many of us Christians are pretty gullible when it comes to those things. Wouldn't you agree? You don't have to shake your head because I don't want the person next to you to, to watch. But that's kind of the way it is. We're pretty gullible in the things of this world. And why is that? Why do they do that? Why do they tempt us? Why is it those who hate Christianity want to bring us into their fold? Well, it's because they know these things will water down and weaken our faith. And change, if you will, or at least, at least put a, a damper, if you will, on our view of what God's grace is. That's how Satan works. And that's what he wants us to do. But we're not going to fall for it. Amen? Because we're going to talk about that this morning. This passage of Scripture gives, an, gives us an idea of how important these other things are, these fads and these trendy things and all this other stuff are in light of Scripture. Because basically, they just are not that important. And I know some of us are sitting here saying, yeah, but you don't know the world I live in. That is true. Okay? I don't know the culture of the people you hang around, but I do know what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is true. And so, read along with me here in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start right in verse 1. It says, Simeon, or Simon, P- 
Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We're going to stop there. The first point I want to share with you this morning is, as Christians, we have complete sufficiency in Christ. I've talked about this before. There's, understand this. There is no such thing as an incomplete or a deficient Christian. Understand that. Whether you've been saved for 15 minutes or for 15 years, there is no such thing as an incomplete or a deficient Christian. Every born-again Christian receives all he or she needs at the moment of salvation. If you've never heard, if you've ever been in my Bible Institute class, I spent a whole two classes on this one time. Because sometimes I just don't think we grasp that concept. Now understand this, each of us must grow and we must mature. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But no necessary resource is missing in our lives. There is no need to search for something else. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you receive all that you need at the moment of salvation. Do you believe that? You can answer this one now, because if you don't believe that, say, yeah. I didn't think anyone would do that, but I took a shot. In John chapter 19, when Jesus says it is finished, it, it, it not only meant that our salvation was finished, but it meant that we are made complete. We were made complete then. You see, see, understand this. In Jesus, we have wisdom. Amen? In Jesus, we have joy. We have peace. We have value. We have purpose. We have meaning. And the list could go on and on and on and on and on. We have every spiritual blessing in Him. We are complete in Christ. The Bible tells us that. We just need to remember that. We need to remember that Christianity is an all-sufficient relationship with an all-sufficient God. It's not hard to remember. We just don't do it often. Now, why am I saying all of this? And this is why. Because there is a widespread lack of confidence, if you will, or belief, if you will, in Christ's sufficiency. And it spread throughout Christianity today. Our view of God's grace and His sufficient grace is not what it should be, is not what the Bible tells us it is quite often. And I believe it's threatening the church as well as our nation. Because as the church goes, so goes the nation. So listen, there are too many people, including Christians, who have fallen into this notion that our riches in Christ, including prayer or or Scripture, and the Holy Spirit, and all the other spiritual resources we can find in Christ, they've fallen to the notion that these are simply not adequate enough to meet people's real needs. And there are some of us sitting here this morning who, who, who have fallen into that and believe that. It's sad, but many Christians aren't aware of that truth of Christ's 
sufficiency, of God's sufficiency, of his sufficient grace in our lives. We're in desperate need, I believe, of a new appreciation of what it means to be complete in Christ. It's far more than salvation. It's far more than just a a ticket uh, to heaven. Look at verse 3 again. Here here, uh, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us what? You can say it. Just a few things. Almost everything. Right? No, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We are missing nothing. He didn't forget anything. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And then it goes on to say, by which He has granted to us His precious and what? Very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world. Folks, it's important that we understand this piece of Scripture. That leads me to my second point. Our failure to understand this, our failure to understand the riches in Christ has opened the doors to all kinds of influences in Christianity and in our lives today. Bad doctrine, liberalism, humanism, secularism, the list could go on and on and on and on. Most of the time, it is very subtle. Most of the time, it just kind of creeps into our lives. You know, and I've often used that illustration. Very seldom would any of us, if, if the devil you know, really looked like a, a little red man with a tail and horns and whatever it is, come knocking on your door, you would say, you'd open the door and say, oh, come on in, devil. You'd say, just get away from me. I'm not letting him in. That's not who the devil is, by the way. Just thought it, you know, in case you're taking notes. That's not, that's not what he's like. But, it, but, but those things are subtle. They creep into our lives. But we don't hardly notice it. But let me tell you this, it's been extremely effective in splintering the church, it's been extremely effective in splintering a nation and destroying somebody's ministry. Mark that down. Our view of God's grace and His sufficiency in His grace is, is different than it used to be. A few decades ago, we would never think some of the things we think today. In the past few decades, theology has become more and more distorted more and more humanistic. And, and the focus has shifted from God to people and their problems. That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what everything seems to be focused on now. There's an increased fascination with, with worldly methods, how we can get more people, how we can be more appealing. Counseling. I mean, goodness, counseling has replaced worship and evangelism and people's way of thinking. Now, I'm not saying counseling is bad. We've, we've grouped everything into that. Just about. Many churches have, have de-emphasized preaching and worship for entertainment or something like that. No, they won't call it that. Rest assured that they would never call it that. But that is what has happened. And they, they lure people by appealing to the flesh because, because they, they feel Christ himself is no longer adequate to meet their needs. And that's the bottom line. And there has probably been times in some of our lives we've felt that way. Isn't that true? I don't know if the Bible or if Christ or if the Holy Spirit of God himself is able to really meet that person's needs right now. Because they're really struggling. They're really hurting. 
Think about that. That is so wrong. Many go around saying things like, well, you know, Pastor, my needs just aren't being met in the church. My needs just aren't being met in life. I know the Lord is my Savior. I know I've trusted Him, but they're just not being met. Let me tell you this right now. That's false. They have all they need. If they're saved and they know Christ, they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they have all they need. It's that we want it handed to us. That's what we want. We want it handed to us. We don't, we don't have to make any sacrifice for it. We want it handed to us. The church is behaving like, just like Old Testament Israel. Well, that's where they, they, they relied on chariots and they relied on horses and they relied on alliances with other nations. Anything, they relied on anything but the sufficiency of their God. And folks, our nation is leaning that way today because the church is leaning that way today. Many individuals today are doing the same thing, are wallowing in a, in a sea of worldliness and in, in a sea of self-indulgence, and they call it Christian. And it's getting harder and harder and harder to distinguish. Listen, believers have in Christ everything they will ever need to meet any trial that they will ever encounter, to meet any spiritual craving that they have, any difficulty that they may encounter in life. Believers have everything they will ever need. It says it right here. His divine power has granted to us what? All things that pertain to what? Life. And how do I become a better Christian? And godliness. Nothing else has to take, from the moment of salvation, we possess all that we need. Nothing else has to take place. You were placed in Christ and Christ in you. Now let me say this again, because I don't want people to think, well, okay, all i got to do is just don't have to read the Bible or none of that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, we're to continue to grow and we're to continue to mature in the image of Christ and to grow in our faith. But we already possess all that we need. Go back to here, verse 3 again. Look what it says. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Through, through Christ who's called us. He's called us to His own glory and excellence. You know, Satan has always tried to sway Christians away from the purity and the simplicity of an all-sufficient Christ. Has he not? If he can just plan in our minds that God's grace is not good enough, that God's grace is just something that we take for granted, or better yet, now that we're all Star Wars fans, God's grace is just some force out there that we can call upon. If he can convince us in things like that, he has done a great thing. That's always been his job. Years ago, I read a, an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. I want to read that again. If you weren't here, this will be the first time. If you were here, you probably don't remember it anyhow. I want to read this to you, because I think it fits exactly what we're trying to say here. Now, if you don't know anything about the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, it is, uh, there's a demon named Screwtape, and he has an apprentice demon, I guess. His name is Wormwood. And Wormwood is struggling with getting his human patient to, to do bad things, to not love the Lord, to not, to not live for Christ. And so Screwtape writes him a letter. He says, My dear Wormwood, 
The real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it's merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and cycle research. Christianity and vegetarianism. Christianity and whatever. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a substitute. Think about that. That's exactly what Satan wants from us. That's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. I want to look at a couple illustrations here that deals on how this happens. The first one is a very familiar phrase, where the ends justify the means. Every Christian, or I should say early Christians, met to worship, pray, fellowship, be edified in the scriptures, and then they were scattered to evangelize unbelievers. Sounds pretty simple, right? Today, many, many, many uh, believers meet to feel good about themselves, to be entertained, so that we'll create a good experience for everyone. So that when we leave, we're not convicted necessarily by the Holy Spirit, but we feel better about ourselves. Or we say things like, I always wondered what that meant. Because I need to tell so-and-so at work tomorrow. This is so to make Christ more appealing to everyone. Folks, I, I know we've said this before, and I think Pastor Tim has said it. We want you to have a good experience here, but we want you to have a good experience in the Word of God, moved by the Holy Spirit. Many people have even stopped going to church on a regular basis. And why not? Huh? Why not? We have podcasts today. We have TV services. We have video services. We have online worship services. We have dramas. We have shows. We have skits. We have it all. I don't want you guys to leave. That's not what I'm saying. But think about it. 30 years ago, we didn't have to worry about that. That wasn't an option. All this is done in an attempt to achieve spiritual objectives by human means, rather than by supernatural means. By understanding that God's grace is sufficient. The underlying meaning is that the church cannot and the church will not accomplish spiritual goals apart from the help of the world, or apart from fleshly methods, or apart from fleshly means. It just can't do it anymore. Oh, that was fine back in the, in the olden days, but that today the church just can't do it anymore. God's grace is just not sufficient enough anymore. People are more intelligent than they used to be. People are more sophisticated than they used to be. People are more civilized than they used to be. People are more whatever, you fill in the blank, than they used to be. And so these are the things we need to do because God's grace is no longer sufficient to penetrate the heart of these people. It's believing that the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit are not sufficient to break through a sinner's blindness and transform a heart that is turned against God. We truly, sometimes, deep down inside, maybe those who we're struggling with, believe that. God will never, ever reach that person. There's another illustration I want to share with you, and that is looking for truth internally. 
This is how this also works with us as far as not truly believing in sufficiency of God's grace. We do it through feelings or intuition or our senses. And I believe this gets us in more trouble than we care to admit. It's when we say something like, what does the Bible mean to me? Which isn't necessarily bad, don't get me wrong. But when that becomes more important than what does the Bible really mean, that's when we've stepped across that line. See, when this happens, we begin to fall into a, into a way of thinking. Like, make no mistake, our culture and the generation we are part of influences us a lot, correct? I mean, it's hard. And, that, and there's a lot of influences there. I mean, think about the generation we live in today. Us older people who pick on the younger generation, okay? We think of the, of the, of the, of the, well, the issues like homosexuality and transgenderism and, and legalized drugs. And we say, man, this generation has just let everything happen. They don't have any idea about what God's grace is like. They don't have any idea about God's sufficiency. You know, it's been this way a while. How many in here have ever, well, I, this is before my time, I have to admit, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but I've read history books before, and there was a period of time that many people will call the dark ages, if you will, of our nation when prohibition was on, correct? Have you ever seen a documentary on how bad prohibition was? Because all it did was raise crime and, and blah, 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 and we fall for it. We're thinking, yeah, that was stupid. That was stupid. They should have never... Made, made booze or alcohol illegal. What kind of thinking is that on my part? Huh? I'm not that I'm, well, I'm kind of anti-booze, but you know what I'm saying here. You know, you know what I'm talking. In that generation, I'm sitting there thinking, what are they even, why is that bad? You know, alcohol, you know, there's, there's 50-some thousand, I think it's 53 or 57,000 people killed on our roads every day by an alcoholic by, by alcohol and in a car accident. Why wouldn't we outlaw something like that? I'll tell you why. Because that's foolish. Because everybody's drinking. Because it's acceptable in our culture. Because it's part of our generation. In fact, it's better just to legalize it, and then we don't have to worry about it. So before we get too hard on this generation... I guess my generation was probably the best one in between there. <laughs> right, Pastor Tim? That's right. See, it, that's how it happens, though. And that's exactly how it works. We start looking for truth internally. We imply that personal experience is, is to be sought more than understanding the Scripture. We, we often make private revelations and, and personal uh, opinions equal to the truth of God's Word. We say things like, well, you know, God told me to do this. God told me this is what I'm supposed to do. Or God told me this is what you're supposed to do. Or we say something like, he spoke to me. He spoke to me and I, and I know it. Or, or here's another one. Or I feel that God would want me to do this. Or I feel God is, is doing this or doing that in my life. And we fail to honor God and we exalt man instead. That's what happens. And it leads, a, it leads to a delusion that error is truth. Because so many people do it, it couldn't be wrong. That's how we do it today. This is how we do it in our culture. 
There's another illustration that I want to share, and that is psychology, or the study of man's soul. I've also mentioned this in my Bible Institute classes on biblical counseling. And so if you've been on there, just bear with me, because you're going to hear it again. There, is, there, there are some today that would have us believe that sharing Scripture and praying with someone who is hurting emotionally is just too superficial. Only those trained in, let's say, psychology, only those trained in psychology, those with the great secret knowledge, they are the only qualified ones. We could use any other example. That's what our nation has turned to. Only those qualified ones. Only those qualified ones are the experts at raising your children. Only those qualified ones are the experts on your retirement and on your future. Many would argue that giving someone advice from Scripture is a simplistic approach to counseling. That's exactly what they think. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe, I believe you have to know how to use the Scriptures properly when you counsel. That's important. But many say, oh, the Bible is a fine encouragement, and it's there when we need that encouragement. But people who have real problems need a, psych- a psychological expert or some other type of expert, whatever the problem may be. In fact, I believe many seminaries today, there's no I believe about it. You can look up in their book. Many seminaries today put more energy into teaching psychology than they do training students to preach and to discern the Word of God. And this mindset, folks, listen to me, has taken the church by storm, and hence it has taken the nation by storm as well because it's more appealing. Evangelicalism is infatuated with psychotherapy. If you don't believe me, turn on the radio. We have Christian recovery books. We, we have call-in talk. We have call-in talk shows that, on TV and on the radio. We have videos that tell us how to live better lives. You name it, the list could go on and on and on. And there are many good Christian psychologists. There are many good Christian counselors, don't get me wrong, that use the Bible alone for counseling. But unfortunately, there are many who claim it's not totally sufficient to meet people's deep emotional needs. I want you to think about this. In Isaiah, Christ is called what? Wonderful Counselor. I wonder why that is. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, he's, you, many of you know this story, he's, he's sharing in 2 Corinthians about his infirmity, the infirmity that he has that just, just plagued him day after day, plagued him constantly. But God tells him what? That my grace will help you sometimes. That's not what he says at all. He says, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. My grace. He has all he needs. He didn't need anything else. God's grace was sufficient for him. Listen, who's more qualified to study the soul of man than the Lord? You ever thought about that? The average Christian views this kind of counsel as simplistic, unsophisticated, and naive. In much counseling today, we're told we're to value our comfort more than self and then spiritual well-being. Self-esteem has become more important than Christ-likeness. Because you can't be like Christ if you don't like yourself. That's what we're told. You've got to like yourself before you can do anything. 
Good feelings are more important than holy living. I can't live a holy life if I don't have good feelings. Because I'm, I, I'm doggone it, I'm just not happy. And when I get happy, then I'll live for Jesus. Many believers are taught to seek a sense of fulfillment in life. And, and if it's necessary for a time to turn away from God's sufficient grace and to follow human teachings. And then you can come back to it later. Because what you really need right now is what this person says. Someone once said this, Psychology cannot really study the soul. It can only really study human behavior. Only God knows the soul. And only God can change it. Is that true? Is he sufficient to do that? Yet we've embraced much of this humanistic philosophy in our churches today because it sounds good. It sounds good. And here's the bottom line. It makes us more acceptable in our circles today. That's it. It makes us more acceptable in those we hang around, or those we know, those we work with, those we play with. That brings me to the last point. How did this happen? Well, one way it happened is we have those doubting the Bible's authority. These Bible doubters, born-again believers, but they struggle with faith about the Bible. That's what happens. The Bible, because it is so powerful, and it always has had its enemies, Hebrews tells us that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Unbelievers have always challenged its credibility. We know that. Skeptics have always questioned its accuracy. We have, we have religious liberals who dispute the supernatural power of the Word of God. We have cults that twist the meaning of the Word of God. Now this could go on and on. I believe but the most dangerous person is the Christian, or those who claim to know Christ as their Savior, claims to be a Bible believer, but doubts the perfect sufficiency of it. I believe they're the most dangerous. Go over to 2 Timothy real quick. I have a mark in my Bible so I can just flip right there, but I'm going to read it to you. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, look with me in verse 16. For it's all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, or for training in righteousness. A very familiar passage of Scripture. Then he says in verse 17, why is that? That the man of God may be what? Complete, equipped for every good work. Think about this. The words complete, equipped. In the New King James it says thoroughly equipped. You know what that means? It actually means, folks, listen, lacking nothing. You are lacking nothing. Now, we're not talking about whether the Bible is inerrant or not. We're not doubting its claim to be the word's God, word, word of God. What we're talking about is accepting this notion that it does not contain all we need to minister well, especially in these modern and complex times. And yet, right here, right here, the Bible tells us that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work, lacking nothing is what that means. People have turned everywhere else to business and to government and to doctors and entertainment and whatever. And they think the recipe for success in life is to feel better. 
that that's easier to do today than ever with the internet, isn't it not? Folks, we have to come to the conclusion in our minds, either Scripture is wholly inspired and wholly sufficient, thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing, or it's not inspired at all. It's that simple. We have to make that decision in our lives. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, just go to the next page, verse 2. Paul also writes, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, or sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And then look at verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into what? Myths. Wander off into myths. That's what's happening. Wandering off into myths. Listen, I'm not... Am I saying that all those extra biblical helps are worthless? Folks, absolutely not. They are useful, and they are very useful sometimes. What I'm saying is, they are not necessary. They are not necessary. If they were necessary, they'd be in Scripture. If they were necessary... They'd be in the Word of God. Otherwise, God has left us short of what we need. And His Word says He hasn't done that. We have all we need. God's grace is sufficient. Well, let me close with a couple of thoughts. Where did Christians ever get the idea that we needed something other than Christ? You ever think about that? I don't know the answer to that. There are probably many reasons why. But think about this. We are joint heirs with Christ. Amen? We are beneficiaries of a great inheritance. We needn't forget that. Christians are rich beyond measure. And sometimes I don't think we believe that either. One of the Old Testament names for God is El Shaddai. And you know what that means? It means the all-sufficient one. Let me ask you, do you need an extra experience to trust Christ? Do you need an extra experience to trust God? Do you need an extra experience to trust the Word of God? Do you need an extra experience to really understand that God's grace is sufficient? If you do, then you miss the point. The church is equipped by Christ Himself with all that they could ever need. I know Christians today are consumed with with the trials and troubles of life. They are caught up with difficulties and sorrows and, and anguish, and they are desperately looking for some great news, some great news secret, some sort of higher spiritual level, some more effective relief than that they think they have in Christ. But there is no need for that. We are partakers of the divine nature. We need to understand that. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Amen? God's grace, His grace, is sufficient. And folks, if that's true for the church, that's true for our nation as well. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for your grace. Help us, Father, to understand that your grace is sufficient for every need in our life. Even when maybe we don't feel like it. It is, but it is. Help us to search it out. Help us, Father, to call upon you. 
Help us, Father, to rely upon your sufficient grace in all areas of our life. Help us, Father, to do that as a nation. Help us to realize that our nation isn't great because we are great. Our nation is great because you are great. And your grace is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name, amen.